The Can't Wait Podcast is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Jets ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. Some of the cool features that go along with the Game Time app, as you scroll through the different tickets available, you immediately see a panoramic view of what your view will be like at the stadium or ballpark. It's great. And there's also a super easy two-tap checkout, so definitely check it out. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Obviously, that was brutal. Not sure if brutal is a strong enough word, though. The Jets embarrassed at home 33 to nothing by the Patriots. Tim McMaster here along with Connor Hughes. We are going to break it down and, and talk big picture a little bit, too, because there's only so much you can do talking about this one game. Uh, I was originally going to start this, Connor, by saying, if you're not a Star Wars fan, you may not have made it to halftime. Uh, ESPN doing a big job of of supporting that the Star Wars trailer. But this game was terrible. The quarterbacking was terrible. Have you ever seen a worse quarterback performance? I'll start there because we're going to get into Darnell and whose fault it all was. But have you ever seen a worse performance by a quarterback? Um, no. Actually, you know what's crazy, Tim, is I actually went back during the game when I realized how borderline historically bad uh this one was like like well, not historically i think there was one other player and uh rich samini writes for espn had it like the one other player he went back with the stats and info to find the one other player it was like jj jones or something like that at a 2.7 rating uh or something like that uh way back when but at least since i've been on the beat since 2014 this was certainly i don't know if it was the single worst, but it was up there as the worst. Like I looked at the other low quarterback ratings I've had, like the since uh, the 15 season, there was Fitz uh, versus the Bills. Uh, that that one where that eliminated the Jets from the playoffs when they had a win and in. He had a 42.7 rating that year. That was the lowest. Uh, Fitzpatrick against the Chiefs in, in 16, the infamous six interception game. He had an 18.2 rating. Then there was Petty in 2017 with 39.6. McCown versus the Bills in 18 with 35.8, and then Falk. Uh, previously before Darnold's uh, implosion um, was against the Eagles with a 37.3. So uh, I've seen some pretty atrocious quarterback play during my brief tenure here on the Jets beat. I, I can only imagine what Rich uh, Samini's seen having covered this team for 30-something years uh, or something like that. So uh, I, I don't it, – it's it's certainly one of, the, one of the two worst. I think that you just kind of got to compare was this one – worse than Ryan Fitzpatrick's six interception game uh, against the Chiefs in, in 2016 because that game was was just the most remarkable thing I've ever seen. I mean, we were in the press box, uh, me and, and a couple of the other guys that I cover the team with that I'm pretty close with, Daryl Slater, who writes the Ledger, uh, Andy Vasquez for the record. Uh, we, we were sitting there just looking at each other saying, there's no way. Is he going to throw another one? 
is, is he going to throw? Oh, my God, he threw another one. Oh, my God, he threw another I mean, the interceptions were just adding up and adding up. I remember the craziest thing about that game was that the Jets were in it until Fitz threw a pick six to Derek Johnson, uh, who then ran it back for a touchdown. I mean, it was like a one-two possession game, despite the fact he had five interceptions or four interceptions. I mean, it was crazy. But uh, aside from that one, this is certainly the the second-worst quarterback play I've, I've ever seen. I mean, Darnold was just brutal completely lost i mean you heard the espn broadcast where where you said i was seeing ghosts uh that's a direct correlation to the struggles in the jets offensive line where darnell was kind of feeling phantom pressure and and i think that that is uh that that's that's just a, a testament to how bad this protection is and and they basically they basically broke uh their franchise quarterback to the point where he was completely inept out on, on that field on monday night yeah, I probably picked the wrong night to be mic'd up as well because his horrors were then broadcast to the yeah, world okay with the microphone that? on. Which is it? Okay, somebody told me the Jets didn't like who okayed like who signed off on on miking the franchise quarterback. I mean, it's, somebody told me the Jets didn't have anything to do with that. Uh, but still, I mean, Donald's got to know better than that to say no, dude. I don't want to be mic'd up. I mean, I also can't remember the last time a quarterback was mic'd up for an NFL game. Someone said it was actually Simeon, who the Jets or Jets or whoever did an okay that one with Monday night, but normally the quarterback's not it. You get like the the backup linebacker or something like that who doesn't have any quotes, but Darnold was a goldmine last night. Yeah, he certainly was. Um, we're going to talk about how this gets all fixed eventually too. So this isn't going to be all darkness on this podcast, although there'll be a good dose of it if you are looking for that. But the Patriots have now beaten the Jets eight straight times. Uh, the numbers for Darnold, we talked about maybe the, the worst performance you've seen, but it was a 3.6 rating. He was 11 for 23, 86 yards, four interceptions, the fumble as well. Um, one other staff for the Patriots, as far as facing younger quarterbacks, they've now won 20 straight games over first and second year quarterbacks, which is amazing. And, and it goes into what Belichick can do to confuse people. Um, but Connor, this game literally felt over after two possessions. I mean, we're going to, we're killing Darnold obviously for the performance and the offensive line. But the fact is before the Jets got the ball, they were already halfway through the first quarter after that 16-play drive for the Patriots where they converted four third downs. The Jets just couldn't get off the field. That was a killer as well. Then Darnold obviously throwing the interception, but it was like it was methodical down the down the field, 7-0 Patriots, then immediately interception, 10-0, and it felt like the game was over. Uh, yeah, Tim, you know, I think that the, the two possessions obviously were, were that put the Jets down early. I mean, you, you got a sense of a feeling that it was going to be ugly. But the one that the one play uh, wasn't a Darnold interception. Honestly, it, it wasn't um, anything along those lines, despite the fact that I know you can pick so many of those passes from Darnold. The one that kind of told me that this probably wasn't going to be the Jets night and that this one just wasn't going to go their way was was after the Jets had fallen behind the, by those two possessions. Uh, they had a play there uh, on their third possession where Darnold kind of had a little protection, made himself some movement, and then fired one to Demarius Thomas down the field for a would-be first down that could move the chains, uh, keep the Jets' defense on the field, keep the Jets' defense off the field, give them a little bit of a break, and maybe get something going on offense to jumpstart something. And the ball bounced right out of Demarius Thomas's hands. I mean, when that when that play happened, that was the one where I said, you know what, this is this one has the chance to get ugly, and obviously it went downhill from there. I mean, uh, the Jets just didn't make plays on offense. I mean, Darn, uh, Gase kind of said it afterwards, that what he was trying to do was he was keeping Darnold out there because he assumed eventually something would break New York's way, that eventually things would go their way and they'd be able to get something going, and, and they just couldn't. I mean, it was 
It was dreadful. Nothing they did worked. I know the Patriots have arguably the best defense, or they do have the best defense in the NFL. Uh, they, they, they're they approaching a point where this defense could be historically good, but still, this was just a, an atrocious, atrocious game from from the players to the execution to the coaching. I mean, the Jets were, were outplayed, outcoached, out executed, out everything for four quarters on sun, on Monday night, and it was so so ugly, and I know Donald's going to get the blame, but it was not it was not all him. He was certainly a big reason for these struggles, but more than anything else, I, I put the blame on on the offensive line. I mean, it was this was in a in a week where, it, or in a season where everything seems to go wrong for the offensive line, this was bar none. I felt their worst worst performance. I mean, they quite literally broke Sam Darnold, and it was. It was difficult to watch. It, that's really the truth. It, it was a it was difficult to watch that game. Talking about the mic up on uh, Darnold, and after that first interception, they had him on the sideline, and he basically said that you know I saw the blitz coming beforehand, and he said he wasn't loud enough. That was his reasoning for kind of taking the blame on it, that not getting the word out to the offensive line on picking up uh, the blitz on that one. But then you think that would be fixed, but it seemed like the same issue the entire night, where I, the Patriots weren't even necessarily secretive about how they were going to blitz they would bring an extra player to the line it would look pretty obvious that that player was going to blitz he would blitz and he wouldn't be picked up by the offensive line now we've talked about the fact that the quarterback can improve coverage in the offensive line with communication so what was the breakdown last night that that every time the Patriots had somebody set to blitz and they blitzed it seemed like the Jets didn't even realize it was happening you hit the nail on the head, Tim. I mean, they, the, the Patriots didn't disguise right. anything. The Patriots didn't try to do anything creative. They basically told, I mean, Bill Belichick pretty much held up a sign from the Patriots sideline and said, yo, Jets, guess who's coming on this one? And guess what? That guy still came free. And I know that the the the, uh, the, the Patriots had some overload blitzes where basically they were bringing more guys than the Jets could 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 uh, bring in more guys than the Jets could block. You know, bring in six when five guys are in. But that falls on the Jets to not put your quarterback in an empty set. Keep the running back in. Keep the tight end in. Go max, max protect if you have to, because that was freaking pathetic, man. I mean, they were there was a play there. Well, I believe it came on one of Darnold's interceptions, the one where he threw over Robbie Anderson's head, and I think that probably describes three of them. But but this one <laughs> where I watched. Devin McCourty come from his safety position to line up to the right Achuma Adaga. And Darnold pointed at him, said basically, guys, slide the protection to the left. This dude is coming. And guess what? On the snap, no protection changed. He still came completely free, hit Darnold. Darnold had to rush the throw. He threw up a prayer and it was picked off. I mean, this is the most fundamental blocking schemes and fundamental protection things that the Jets can do. And they are failing at it at the elementary level. These are professional athletes. I don't care if they're not the most talented and they're not. The Jets have issues at left tackle, right tackle, left guard, right guard, and center. But still, these are professional athletes that are getting a paycheck and they're playing like a group of guys that couldn't block a JV group one roster in Jersey. The Seneca Golden Eagles, who I went to high school with, I don't think we've ever won a playoff game, could get penetration on Darnold. That's how bad these guys are. They have no idea how to slide protections. They have no idea how to 
diagnose things. They have no idea how to, pitch, how to pick blitzes up, and that's why you have so many guys running free. Darnold was able to mask some of those issues against the Cowboys with his own brilliance in terms of moving within the pocket and making plays. Against the Patriots, he couldn't do it because guy after guy after guy came free, and it was just absolutely remarkable to watch this team's ineptitude because that's what this is. This is blocking ineptitude, and I don't know what Adam Gase can do to make it better. I don't know what Frank Pollock, the offensive line coach, can do to make it better, and I don't know what else Sam Darnold can do when he's pointing out these plays and trying to change the blocking assignments and blocking schemes, and guys just aren't listening. I mean, pretty much Sam Darnold's coming to the line and saying like, hey, Chuma, you might want to go over to the left here and, and slide the protection to the left because the, there's, a, there's a guy safety coming off the edge, and Chuma's like, no, man, I'm good. I think I'm just going to do this instead, and Darnold gets crushed. I mean, this is just absolutely an atrocity on that offensive line, and there is no hope for the Jets this year. There's no hope for Sam Darnold developing in any kind of franchise quarterback until the Jets get things better up front. We are in week seven and things are getting worse. That is an alarming assessment. I know the Jets are playing bad teams moving forward. They have five games against teams with a combined record of three and 30. At this point, I wouldn't pick the Jets to beat the Dolphins based off of what I saw Monday night because that offensive line is so, so, so bad. And I don't know what they can do to make it better because it can't get any simpler. They can't have the quarter, the Sam Darnold's magic wand is out there waving it all around and that's not getting things better anymore. They got a trap game against the Cowboys where they pulled out a victory and fooled us all, myself included. They showed who they really are Monday night. That offensive line is dreadful. And again, aside from from praying that things get fixed in free agency in the draft this offseason, I don't think it's getting any better this year. I mean, you're in week seven and it's regression, regression, not improvement. That is alarming. And again, I don't know how to make it better. When you can't simplify it anymore, when you can't make any kind of any additional line changes, and when you have a quarterback that is out there saying, guys, this is what's coming, and a, and a defense that's basically saying, hey, over here, I'm coming, and they're still, they're still getting free. It's madness. It is absolute madness. Apologies to the Seneca Valley O-line for any comparisons to the, uh, to the, <laughs> to the New York Jets. Um, absolutely right, obviously. And the thing with Darnold is early on he was trying to move and, and create some space when he had a chance and make throws. And then later in the game, it was almost like you mentioned it, like phantom runners coming at him. He was taking the snap and you could tell he already had the happy feet. It had had that effect on him over the course of the game. He was only sacked once, but the 11 pressures, and it was just, it was just all night long. Um, and it turned him in that second half into a technically unsound quarterback, it seemed like. He was just all over the place with throws, off the back foot. But, and he's been able, we've seen him make great throws from weird positions. But you can do that in some sort of rhythm, and then you can do what he did in the second half last night, which was he was just a mess. Yeah, look, I, that's kind of what the Jets have said over and over again. I mean, Dow Loggins has talked about it, uh, obviously. Uh, Dow Loggins has talked about it. Adam Gase has obviously talked about it, is that they love Sam Darnold's ability to to make throws without his feet set, that he can contort his body and still be accurate when other quarterbacks can't. But while that, that, that's got to be a, a last-ditch a, a last effort, you know, when all things break down, you got, got guys in your face, and then you can kind of throw off, off balance and, and still try to make something happen. Against the Patriots, there were times, and again, it's because Darnold was seeing ghosts. It's because his his kind of clock in the pocket was entirely disrupted, and he was just kind of throwing throwing. I mean, hail marys basically on first and first and ten, second and eight. I mean, that's what he was. That's how off he was. Uh, you still need to have fundamentals. You still need to be technically sound. You can't make it harder for yourself, which is what Darnold was. I mean, there were a couple times where the Jets actually had some sort of semblance of a pocket. 
And Sam Darnold's throwing off his back foot lobs into the air that are picked off into double coverage. I mean, that's he needs to be better fundamentally. And he needs to realize, and the Jets need to realize that I think they've been enabling some of those technical flaws because they're like, oh, well, you know what? He's going to make plays doing that. It'll work in our favor. You can't do that. You need to hammer home that, yes, while that is a last-case effort or last-ditch effort, it can't be what you're going to just naturally because it's not. there's a reason why no other quarterback does that in the NFL. There's a reason why when Aaron Rodgers does it, it's because he's moving around and just happens to make that throw, but he's so sound every other play. Darnold can't be going to that time and time again just to go ahead and do it. He needs to be better fundamentally, and I think that's something the Jets have to hammer home. They have to hammer home his technique because this this was a, a bad one. And again, I'm not ready to jump on, on Darnold and dance on his grave yet and say, oh, this is the quarterback he was because he was so off throughout Monday night, basically from the second possession, basically from the first possession on, he was not himself that I'm not ready to say that, that this wasn't just a case of, like he said on the sidelines, seeing ghosts, the protection being in his head, him not trusting his blockers at all. So basically he was taking the snap and immediately running away from phantom brushes. Basically, uh, I'm not ready to say that this is what you're going to see from Sam Donald the rest of the year. I think this might be uh, just a blimp on the radar of something that uh, you might it will rectify itself once Darnold gets away from this game and gets back to the film study and relaxes again and breathes. But if this is what he's going to start doing moving forward, I mean, the Jets need to go back to, to basically the, you know square one with him because you can't have these kind of tech, you can't have this kind of technique, this kind of fundamentals, and expect to be a, a successful quarterback in the NFL. Again, last case scenario, that's what you're talking about with that footwork, not where you're just going to go to it. And that's what Darnold was doing. I mean, it was first and 10, and he's doing these weird things with his feet offset, and you're seeing the, the bad of it. You're seeing the bad. He needs to be better fundamentally. It reminded me of like uh, Thanksgiving weekend being out in the backyard with my friends and, and playing the Thanksgiving football game, and you just take the snap and start running around. That is what watching Darnold uh, reminded me of. So the O-line is, is obviously a huge and currently unfixable problem. By the fourth quarter, you had four guys in there that started the year as backups. Khalil left the game at one point with an injury, came back in. Um, they've already tried to revamp this during the bye week. So you have to get through somehow the rest of this season, Connor, with this group of players, and you have to have Sam Donald survive it somehow. So what do you do with this offensive line? I don't know. I, mean, I have no idea. I mean, Good you thing can't, you're not the you can't coach. make any more... <laughs> Yeah, right? I mean, well, hell, I mean, I might as well be because the guys that are there aren't doing anything. Uh, but they, I, seriously, like, you, you can't simplify it anymore. The Jets did that. They, they have simplified it to the point where they're basically only running a Mike blocking scheme because they don't believe that, that the Jets the – base, the Jets basically got to the point where there was the first couple weeks of the season, they were running a blocking scheme where a lot of it was reactionary. It was, if this guy comes, you go here, but if this guy doesn't come, you go there. And, and it was a lot – uh, it was a lot of thinking at the line, and it basically caused an, an implosion from the off. They they couldn't do it. The offensive line could not could not realistically handle that. They switched the last week or so, two weeks, to more of a mic blocking scheme, which is basically every guy on the line has a man, and the only way that that changes slightly is if the mic linebacker comes. That's the only thing that changes the blocking scheme. Otherwise, you know you're blocking him. 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 You know and it was believed to have worked against the Dallas Cowboys. Against the Patriots, 
the Jets conceivably kept that Mike, but and it just it just didn't it didn't work at all. I mean, it, it can't get any simpler than that because the Jets are now basically saying you, we're not going to make you guys react to anything. Just block the guy in front of you and let's play, and let's hope that works. That's now not working. You can't make any more lineup changes. I mean, aside from the return of Kelvin Beecham, which seemingly which conceivably would put Chuma Adaga back at right tackle. There's no one else coming off. You saw what what Brian you saw why Jonathan Harrison is a backup center. I mean, I know everyone's been clamoring for him to get into the lineup over uh, uh, Ryan Khalil. Well, he got into the lineup last week or last night, and you saw he was even worse than Ryan Khalil. So you know why Jonathan Harrison isn't playing. Uh, again, the, the the reinforcements aren't coming, Tim, in, until next year's draft and, and free agency. So this is what the Jets have to work with. And if you can't simplify it anymore and you can't make any more lineup changes, and you can't do anything like that, what you need to do is you need to have every single one of those guys look in their mirror and realize that this was an utter embarrassment, that the Patriots walked into your stadium, kicked your you-know-what up and down the field, made you a a league-wide meme and embarrassment, and you need to like, like have have some like uh, self self confidence and step up and be like, dude, I, I'm better than this. I mean, you're a paid professional athlete. You got to be better than that. And and it's just, it's again, I don't I don't know how you fix it because uh, you, like I said, you can't simplify things anymore. You're not going to go find anyone on the trade. I mean, the Jets aren't trading for an offensive lineman because they need their draft picks. So what do you do? I mean, I look. This is why Adam Gase has paid a lot of money. This is why Frank Pollock's paid a lot of money. And if those two guys can't figure this out, maybe they're not the right two guys for the job. And then on top of all of that, as far as the offensive line goes, you have Caliccio Semele and that mess that we actually didn't get a chance to talk oh. about because we recorded our last podcast right before that really got just weird and confusing. But but you covered it well on The Athletic. There's some good stories there about it. But Connor, I mean, where is this right now? He's been fine for missing practice. Um, it doesn't seem like... He has any intention of practicing. The Jets aren't going to release him, it doesn't seem like. So is this just going to be like a messy, out-in-the-open disaster the rest of the season, or is there a way to, to somehow make this go away? Well, you have you have the Jets that have come out with their side of the story. Uh, you have uh, Andrew Kessler and, and, and Kalecio Semele's side who have come out with their side of the story. And now you basically just have a, a standstill between those two guys with, with neither side willing to move. Basically, this is it's it's a Semele from the Jets point of view. They they were benching Kalecho Semele. They did not believe that he he was playing well the first three weeks of the season. So entering the bye week when they were coming out, Alex Lewis, a guy that they that they traded for and people in, in the front office and personnel department are very, very high on. Uh, largely because several of those personnel department were, were with the Ravens organization who scouted and and, and got uh, Lewis back when, when he was with the Ravens. They believed that he was going to be a better option than Osemele, so they were benching Osemele. When they made that decision, Kaleche then decided that he had a shoulder issue and he could no longer play. The Jets looked at this and said, uh, no, uh, you, you're, 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 you're not, you're not just going to sit out now because you got benched. We're paying you money to play. You're able to play. And, and Osemele said, no, I can't play. I'm too hurt. So the Jets team doctors put him through a, a series of MRIs where they, the, what the MRIs determined, despite the fact Osemele said he got hurt in August. And despite the fact he said, then he re-aggravated the injury during the season, the shoulder issue. Uh, the Jets said that there is, is legitimate evidence, um, on, on that MRI, that says this is a pre-existing injury from your time with the Raiders. We also have evidence from both our team doctor that evaluated you that you are cleared to play, that you can play with this injury. Assembly didn't like that, so we went to get a second opinion. 
according to the Jets, that second opinion came back and said, you're still hurt, or yes, you have this injury, but it is a pre-existing injury, and I'm clearing you to play as well. You can go out there and play. Osemele now said, no, I, I can't play. The Jets are saying, yes, you can play. And and the one thing that, that what reason why this is kind of a little bit of a hiccup is that there's this there, there's a, a kind of a, a confirmed rumor out there that when Kalecho Semele was in in Oakland and John Gruden started trading away guys like Amari Cooper and Khalil Mack, that Osemele was one of the big people in Oakland that decided, no, if your guys are going to tank, I'm not playing. And he and what is believed, and I've had a couple people tell me. He basically invented an injury in Oakland and wanted to sit out that year, which is a big reason why the Raiders traded him this offseason. Well, now something similar has happened in terms of the Jets uh, benching him, and now suddenly Osemele is complaining of an injury that the Jets have have uh, that the Jets know is is both a pre-existing injury, but also one that two doctors have told them he cannot play through. So. Uh, the Jets have fined him for for uh, conduct detrimental to the team. It's unclear if this is going to be something that they continue to find him. I assume if they find him on Saturday, they probably find him for missing the game on Sunday. Uh, they will probably find him for every practice that he does not suit up for. Uh, Osemele has in turn filed a grievance against the New York Jets, and now it's going to be about the two sides kind of digging in. Now, uh, because Osemele is a vested veteran, uh, because he has not filed for, I believe it's it's termination pay, I believe is the exact, exact terminology, or wrongful termination, I have to look it up, it's in the story on The Athletic, the exact terminology, but basically it's getting cut without without means of getting cut. The Jets are not just going to cut him, because while his uh, $10.5 million cap it this year is unguaranteed, because he's on the roster week one, because he hasn't filed for termination pay before, and because he's a, vet, a vested veteran, that base salary, the $9.5 million dollars, uh, that he was owed this year as a base salary basically becomes guaranteed. Uh, he still has, I think, now it's a little bit less because we're through week seven, but he still had about five and a half million of that left uh, that is technically guaranteed. The Jets have basically said, we don't want to pay you that five and a half million dollars when we know you can play, you are electing not to, and for an injury that occurred for the Raiders, not for us. So uh, I, 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 it's it's just a, a back and forth drama that, that I don't think the Jets really need right now, but they can't straight up cut him because by cutting him, they won't free any money because that contract is now guaranteed basically because he's on the roster. So by finding him for conduct detrimental to the team, that voids those guarantees, but now the 40% of that money is now still saved because uh, Osemele is filing a grievance. So this is just a big cluster, you know what, and and it's uh, I, I don't think it's going to be resolved anytime soon. And just perfect timing with everything that's going on with this team right now. It just gets uglier yeah, and right. uglier. All right, well, we've killed the offense, and, and fair enough, they didn't score a point against the Patriots. Uh, the defense was certainly put in a bad spot by the offense, by the turnovers, but let's be honest, the defense wasn't great either. The Patriots were missing Josh Gordon. They had no tight ends, basically. They had to sign Ben Watson and bring him back to play tight end. They had no fullbacks. They actually had a linebacker in at fullback for goal lines. Uh, no Rex Burkhead in the backfield. Uh, I mean, their offensive line a little shorthanded too. All of that, and they opened the drive, like we said, they opened the game with the drive going right down the field and moved the ball at Wills. Now, Tom Brady's great, don't get me wrong, um, but he didn't have a lot of weapons. This defense was unable to stop them. We thought C.J. Mosley's return was going to have a big impact on this team, but he didn't seem right, and he talked about it after the game, right, Connor? The groin was still bothering him, and you wonder how long that's going to linger. Yeah, it wasn't good. Uh, you you could tell Mosley was was nowhere near uh, 100%. In fact, if, if Neville Hewitt was, was still healthy and not dealing with that stinger, I wonder if the Jets wouldn't have pulled Mosley a little bit earlier because he was a liability. Now, the issue was is that while Mosley was 
maybe it looked like 40, 30, 40% of himself. Um, he was the only other middle linebacker the Jets had. I mean, when, when the coaches decided to yank him out of the game late there, Brandon Copeland, an outside linebacker, had to play middle linebacker because the Jets don't have anyone else. You know, a groin injury is a funky one, man, because it, it's 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 something that prevents you from uh, bursting, and it's your acceleration. I mean, Mosley can run and eventually can get up to speed, but the ability to immediately react, to see a tight end or a running back get right and then immediately break and cut and go that way, uh, it's, it's, he can't, he can't do it. He showed he can't do it. I mean, there were a couple of times I, I got to go back and watch the film again today, but there were a couple of times on blitzes where it seemed like he was pulling up lame, just knowing he's not going to be able to get there and he doesn't have the burst to get there and disrupt Tom Brady. So, uh, the jets were hoping for a legitimate boost, having Mosley back out there. They were hoping that he was going to make a difference. Uh, he, he did not, man. He, he didn't. And, and at this point you got to wonder if Mosley at any point this year, will look like the Mosley who played the first three and a half quarters against the Bills in the opener because there's a very real chance that this thing lingers and there's a very real chance that this is something he's going to have to deal with the rest of the year. He said he was feeling it after the game. He said he's going to have tests to see what he can do this week at practice. But if he's really sore, it it wouldn't surprise me to see him out again. So they had that. Then they weren't really getting pressure on Brady. And then the secondary is what it is. I mean, I feel like we've talked about it enough this season that the secondary can't cover people, but Tremaine Johnson added again. And, and as a whole, this, uh, I mean, Edelman's great, but other than that, you have um, lesser receivers for the Patriots and they didn't seem to have ter- a terrible time getting open. No, I mean, the Jets corners stink, man. I mean, we, we've known this from the open. I mean, when, when, when Mike McCaglin pieced together this roster and the only addition to the secondary he made was Brian Poole, who's actually been pretty good in the slot, uh, or as as the nickel corner when he was playing in the slot. All of us kind of looked around. I mean, it, all all everyone who covers this team, everyone who watches this team, was like, the Jets are really going into 2019 with Tremaine Johnson and Daryl Roberts and no backup plan because the Jets did not sign any other legitimate outside cornerback to compete. They didn't invest a draft pick until bless Austin in like the sixth round. And he, that dude, I'm not even sure that guy has knees after having like 17 surgeries on him at Rutgers of all places. I mean, we're talking about Rutgers here, Tim. And that's the only guy that the Jets added as an outside corner. And he just started practicing this week. And we were all looking like, I mean, look, you, I get gambling with Tremaine Johnson and Daryl Roberts. I mean, the Jets don't really have too many other options considering how much they're paying Tremaine. But to have no backup plan, I mean, you're basically running a, a, a gamble with no insurance policy at all. And what you've seen this year is the worst case scenario. I mean, the, it's the worst case scenario that we all saw. Tremaine Johnson is not the player he was last year. He's worse. Who knows if he's ever going to put forth any kind of effort on the field. The guy acts like a crossing route is the is, is a brand new route that was just invented every single time someone runs him on him. I mean, I've never seen anyone with an inability to cover a crossing route like Tremaine Johnson. It is absolutely remarkable. I don't know. I, I got to go back and watch some of his film with the Rams to see if anyone ever happened to run that against him ever or why they didn't because every time he sees it it's the it's like the first time he's ever seen a crossing like oh my god what's this a corner a wide receiver running across the field you can do that news to me i mean it's remarkable and daryl roberts has to lead the nfl in contested balls that he just gives up completions to i mean that guy has such unbelievable coverage on more passes than i have ever seen yet he allows completions on all of them it's insane that one to bolden down the left sideline i mean there was about two inches of space the ball comes over there and, and like, tr- basically, Daryl Roberts 
covers guys and then forgets that, oh yeah, I still have to realize that a ball might be coming here to bat it away. The guy's been in position to pick off like seven passes this year and bat down 45, and he allows completions on every single one of them because he has no idea when the ball's coming. I mean, this secondary is so abysmal, but we all knew it had the chance to be this abysmal in the offseason, but they did not make any adjustments. They did not make any infusions of talent there, and worst of all, they went in with no contingency plan if Tremaine Johnson reverted to the player that he was in 2018, and if Daryl Roberts turned out to be the backup that everyone else in the NFL knew he was. I, I, again, you want to know why Mike McCagnin's not here anymore? This is it. The offensive line and the cornerback situation is why Mike McCagnin is not here anymore. It is a disaster, and it's a disaster that's going to take some time to figure out. So half glass full for Monday night. Uh, Levy and Bell, still good. 15 carries, 70 is that yards. glass filled with whiskey? I think that's the only way you're getting through a half filled. I think that's what Jet fans want right now. I don't care if it's 11 a.m. So Bell was pretty good. Uh, they don't play the Patriots again, so that's good news. And the schedule gets a lot easier from here. But big picture, Connor, you laid it out in your story after the game. This can be fixed, but it's not It's not even going to be fixed necessarily for 2020. This is an issue that's going to take time because there's so many glaring weaknesses. Um, the offensive line's number one, but you just mentioned it. The corners, um, they need more weapons. There's so many things that needed to be added to this roster that they're not going to be able to do it in one off season. This is a multi-year rebuild, and uh, I guess buckle up, Jets fans. <laughs> this is not a one-year fix, man. I mean, that, that's I know this is this is going to be tough for Jet fans to hear because they've been rebuilding this roster for like the last 35 years. Uh, certainly during this eight-year eight-year going to be nine-year playoff drought. Uh, they've been trying to rebuild this thing, and and you saw Monday night just how far away they actually are. I mean, it, it starts, uh, it it starts pretty early here with with the uh, they've got to acquire assets. I, I think that's kind of just going over the game story kind of that I wrote is that it starts pretty early that the Jets don't have the means right now to really start to turn this thing around. They got to get more. It's going to start with acquiring more draft picks. It's going to start with adding more more money, and and the draft picks are going to be a little bit harder to get. Uh, not because you know, Joe Douglas is going to be unwilling to sell at the, the NFL's trade deadline. It's more because the Jets don't really have any players with value. So the one there that, that might be able to fetch something is Leonard Williams, the defensive end, who is still sackless uh, now through seven weeks and six games. In fact, he's got, I think in his last 37 games, he's got seven sacks or something like that. I wrote that. Uh, in a in a in the game preview or in the story this week, I, I got to go back and look at the exact numbers. But he has seven sacks. He had he had seven sacks his second year in the NFL. He has seven sacks in the three years since. Is what that that statistic is. So some team, the Jets might might be able to fetch a third round pick for Leonard Williams if they find a, a contender desperate enough that that believes that he will be the the link to put them over the edge and they they just need one extra piece to make a super bowl run they might be able to get Leonard for a third round pick more likely they'll get it they'll be able to deal him for a fourth maybe they can get like a fourth and a sixth or a fourth and a seventh but it, it, there's no reason why Leonard Williams should be on this roster after the trade deadline the jets should absolutely move him they can they can survive the rest of the year and compete the rest of the year with Henry Anderson Quinn and Williams uh, and an undrafted rookie, Kyle Phillips, who who continues to to show promise week in and week out, the Jets can survive with that. So if they can get an extra fourth round pick, a third round pick, a fourth and a seventh, something like that for Leonard Williams, they got to do that. That would give them eight picks in the upcoming draft. That's something there to to work with. It's not ideal. You'd like to have nine or ten, but eight is certainly better than the six that the Jets have right now. Especially if they can get a fourth round, so they can have an extra one there in the first four. Um, 
then it's going to come down to money. The Jets right now with with uh, an estimated uh, team salary cap of $200 million are set to have roughly $50 million in free agency. That's a decent amount, but they could definitely uh, – they should and definitely will add more. Uh, they can free about $31 extra million dollars by releasing Kalecho, Semele, and Brian Winters, which will happen. Uh, they will absolutely let Daryl Roberts go. That will free $6 million. The questionable one is linebacker Avery Williamson, who's coming off an ACL tear. The Jets might try to look to rework his contract and get him to take a pay cut. If not, they might want to let him go and, and, and either hand the roll to Blake Cashman or something like that, but he'd free another $6 million or so. Uh, after that, the you know they they that, that'll get them to about eighty million dollars in salary cap space. Give them about eight draft picks. Then you can start to try to rebuild this roster. Obviously, Tim, it starts up front. That that's that's where this starts. The Jets need to make wholesale changes on the offensive line. I mean, there's a very real chance that the only player returning from their current offensive line group right now is Chuma Adaga because this coaching staff and personnel department genuinely believe that this guy is a starting offensive tackle in the NFL. They believe uh, the personnel department does that he could be their long-term answer at left long-term answer at left tackle with some development. He's struggling right now, but they think he has a very high ceiling and can be very good in the NFL. Love his athleticism. So he's the one player who I think will be back and probably a starter next year. After that though, Beecham, he's not coming back. Winners won't be coming back. Osemele won't be coming back. Khalil obviously will not be coming back. Jonathan Harrison might as a backup. Alex Lewis might, if the Jets like him that much, that they'll bring him back to compete. But other than that, you really need to go entirely new. Now, the one benefit the Jets have with this offensive line is that this draft, while they don't have the Quentin Nelson or Zach Martin that have been in the last couple of years, there are several really decent offensive linemen, pretty good players in the offensive linemen that will be there. Now, there'll probably be five or six tackles slash guards taken within the first round next year. The Jets might not have a pick because of how weak their schedule is for one of those top two guys, but they certainly would be able to have someone. I mean, the kid, Andrew Thomas from Georgia is probably the best, but Oregon's got a good one. Uh, Tristan Wirfs from Iowa is pretty good. Stanford's Stanford's Walker Little are pretty good. Those guys are all going to go in the first round, and the Jets should have the ability to add one of them. Then they'll just have to upgrade the the rest of the spots in free agency. I mean, if they go first and second round with offensive linemen, I don't think anyone will complain, but they'll also have to dip into free agency. Brandon Sheriff, the Redskins guard, could be there. Anthony Costanzo from the Colts might be there. Uh, Trent Williams is still in that ugly standoff with the Redskins. He might be a free agent. He's probably a little risky because it looks like he's going to sit out all year, but he could be there as well. So uh, it, it starts this offseason with totally reworking the offensive line. And then you can move on from there. So they got to add some playmakers for Sam Darnold. It's clear that Robbie Anderson is not a legitimate number one wideout. Uh, they need to find one of those guys. They need more weapons. But again, it's tough to have a leg- it's tough to sign a legitimate wideout in free agency. The Jets can't use their first round pick on one in this year, so they might not find that guy in 2000 until 2020 or 2021. Same with the cornerbacks. You're not going to find an elite level corner in the draft if you're not using your first round pick on one so where are the Jets going to get them they can probably invest a second rounder but they need their Jalen Ramsey I mean they need an elite level guy outside but because they have so many issues up front on the offensive line they're going to have to go somewhere else to find it same with a pass rusher so the Jets it, it starts with with adding more assets immediately goes from there to, to revamping the offensive line, but they also need cornerbacks. They also need receivers. They also need help on the defensive line when Leonard Williams is gone and at linebacker with pass rusher, and it's going to take a few years for them to plug all these holes, potentially two or three before they're, they're legitimately competing because this roster is much worse than what I think a lot of people believed, much worse than what a lot of people expected. And it's clear that they are further back than they are forward. And, and this rebuild, I think, might just be beginning.
Yeah, and that said, it's certainly going to be an interesting um, next month or so of football because all of that being said, and as bad as this team is, there are some games coming up where maybe they can build a little bit, maybe collect some victories. Um, At the Jaguars, suddenly looks a little tougher than maybe we thought on Sunday, but then they do get the Dolphins, they get the Giants, they get the Redskins, the Raiders, the Bengals, the Dolphins again. I mean, all those games are coming up. So we will see how that plays out. Um, And I guess we're going to start to get to the point where we're seeing how that plays into draft position and who they might be able to get in the draft. Uh, But up next is the Jaguars. They're three and four. That one's in Jacksonville. We're going to preview that. By the way, the the Jags are six point favorites as as the opening line. I feel like that might go up. Yeah, yeah, so do I, man. I don't know. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> right. Yeah, get that now. <laughs> jump, jump on that now. <laughs> we'll preview that game, uh, and we'll probably tell you what the spread is come uh, later in the week when we have uh, the bonus podcast, that one exclusively available on The Athletic. Hey, if you need a break from the Jets' heartbreak, well, a new era of Nets basketball is here. The Glue Guys is a Brooklyn Nets podcast hosted by Mike Smeltz and Brian Egan. Twice a week, Brian and Mike will be joined by some of the biggest names in the Nets universe. Listen all season long right here on The Athletic, another great piece of The Athletic Podcast Network. If you don't already follow Connor on Twitter, the worse the Jets get, the better Connor's Twitter feed is. So get on there, Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. And we want to thank Marissa Morris as well. It's been fun talking about the Jets once again. Join us again next time on the Can't Wait Podcast.